This is Garrison Harney with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Monday, June 20th, 2022. Happy Monday, everyone. Here's what you may have missed over the weekend. On Saturday, Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning took place. The Avalanche took Game 1, so Tampa Bay really wanted to even up the series as it shifts back to Florida today. And, well, here's how it went. If you're a Tampa Bay fan, cover your ears. Here's the recap. They're down to 15 seconds on the man advantage. New hook behind the net. Out in front, Nachuskin scores! Beautiful setup from the side of the circle for a power play goal. And a happy early Father's Day to all the dads watching tonight. Little Father's Day treat if you're a hockey fan on this Saturday night. Stanley Cup final action and another goal. Josh Manson, the defenseman, makes it two to nothing. And up for Burakovsky. Now a shot right out of the rebound goal. Burkowski, and it's three to nothing. Tampa Bay, now with this series against Colorado, will have played the three highest scoring teams in the regular season. Centering pass to the goal. They turned it over behind the net, and Nechuskin has another. It's stolen away by Colton. He didn't get much on the centering pass. Helm has some open ice. Helm takes a shot and scores! Here's a two-on-one break. McCarr with Cogliano. McCarr scores! They're doing it all! That's a shorthanded goal! And a 6-0 lead. Determined to get into the slot. Now leaves it for McCarr. McKinnon. Ranting it. McCarr! He scores! Beautiful passing and a power play goal. Second of the period for the great Kale McCarr. What you just heard was an absolute demolition of the Tampa Bay Lightning at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche. The Lightning came into Game 2 of the 2022 Stanley Cup Final with a plan. But like Mike Tyson once said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Or in this case, an avalanche of seismic proportions. Lightning head coach John Cooper said the key to evening up the series at two was weathering the storm in the first 10 minutes from the Colorado Avalanche. And yet, after those first 10 crucial minutes of play inside Ball Arena, Colorado held a 2-0 advantage just as they did in Game 1. The Avalanche's onslaught started early, and it never let up, as you just heard as Colorado defeated Tampa Bay 7-0 to take an all-important 2-0 series lead. Why is that so important, you ask? Well, teams leading 2-0 in the Stanley Cup Final are 47-5 all-time, 47 wins and 5 losses. The touchdown plus extra point loss is Tampa Bay's worst in its playoff history, topping the 5-0 defeat against the Toronto Maple Leafs in round one this year and the 6-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers back in 1996, the franchise's first ever playoff appearance. The Avalanche have now scored 11 goals through two games in the series and are 14-2 overall during the playoffs. The seven-goal margin is the largest in Stanley Cup final game since 1991 and when the Pittsburgh Penguins defeated the Minnesota North Stars 8-0 in, in Game 6 of the series. The series will now shift back to Tampa Bay for Games 3 and 4 with the Lightning looking for any sort of jolt from the Amali Arena crowd. Puck drop for Game 3 is scheduled for Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. 
This year, our national conference is in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 6th through the 8th. The theme of this year's conference is lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. Satan is the father of lies, and the mother of those lies is a government who has rejected God, like ours. We've been especially lied to these last two years, and the COVID panic has been one of the central mechanisms that our government has used to lie to us and to grab more power. Because Christians have not been reading their Bibles, we are susceptible to lies and weak in our ability to fight these lies. God has given us his word to fight Satan and his lies, and we need to recover all of God's word, its serrated edge, and all. Mark your calendars for October 6th through the 8th as we fight, laugh, and feast with fellowship, beer, and psalms, our amazing lineup of speakers, hanging with our awesome vendors, meeting new friends, and more. Early bird tickets are available now. But hey, they're going to be gone before you know it. The end of June is fast approaching. Sign up now at flfnetwork.com slash Knoxville 2022. Hey, speaking of lies and propaganda, let's talk about transgender athletes. <laughs> we now shift over to the world of swimming as World Swimming bans transgender athletes from women's events. Some good news in the world of sports, finally. World Swimming's governing body has effectively banned transgender women from competing in women's events starting Monday. This is from Politico. FINA members widely adopted a new gender inclusion policy on Sunday that only permits swimmers who transition before the age of 12 to compete in women's events. Oh, okay, so they're only allowing a little bit of insanity into the pool. Got it. The organization also proposed an open competition category. This is not saying that people are encouraged to transition by the age of 12. It's what the scientists are saying, because we can trust the science, that if you transi transition after the start of puberty, you have an advantage, which is unfair. James Pierce, who is a spokesperson for FINA, President Hussein al-Musalam, told the Associated Press. They're not saying everyone should transition by age 11. That's ridiculous. You can't transition by that age in most countries, and hopefully you wouldn't be encouraged to. Wow. I'm surprised I'm hearing this. He continues, basically what they're saying is that it is not feasible for people who have transitioned to compete without having an advantage, end quote. Pierce confirmed there are currently no trans transgender women competing in elite levels of swimming. The World Professional Association for Transgender Health just lowered its recommended minimum age for starting gender transition hormone treatment to 14 and some surgeries to 15 or 17. Disgusting. FINA's new 24-page policy also includes proposals for a new open competition category. The organization said it was setting up a new working group that will spend the next six months looking at the most effective ways to set up this category. Pierce told the AP that the open competition would most likely mean more events, but those details still need to be worked out. The members voted 71.5% in favor at the organization's extraordinary General Congress, after the hearing presentations from three specialist groups, an athlete group, a science and medicine group, and a legal and human rights group. That had been working together to form the policy following recommendations given by the International Olympic Committee last November. The IOC urged shifting the focus from individual testosterone levels and calling for evidence to prove when a performance advantage existed. FINA said it recognizes that some individuals and groups may be uncomfortable with the use of medical and scientific terminology related to sex and sex-linked traits, but some use of sensitive terminology is needed to be precise about the sex characteristics that justify separate competition categories. In March, Leah Thomas, 
a man, made history in the United States as the first man to win a women's NCAA swimming, uh, swimming championship, the 500-yard freestyle. The coward, Thomas, said last month on ABC's Good Morning America that he was aiming to become an Olympic swimmer. He also disputed those who say he has an unfair biological edge that ruins the integrity of women's athletics, saying trans women are not a threat to women's sports. End quote. <laughs> That's funny. The University of Pennsylvania didn't immediately respond to a request for comment from Thomas. Other sports have also been examining their rules around transgender athletes. On Thursday, cycling's governing body updated its eligibility rules for transgender athletes with stricter limits that will force riders to wait longer before they can compete. The International Cycling Union, Union or the UCI, increased the transition period on low testosterone to two years and lowered the maximum accepted level of testosterone. The previous transition period was 12 months, but the UCI said recent scientific studies show that the awaited adaptions in muscle mass and muscle strength power among athletes who have made a transition from male to female takes at least two years. From sports, let's go to entertainment, to infinity and beyond. Pixar's Lightyear underwhelms with $51 million debut as Jurassic World stays number one. To infinity and beyond, not exactly. Lightyear, a spin-off story set in Pixar's Toy Story universe, fell short of that boundless milestone in its box office debut, collecting a lackluster $51 million from 4,255 North American theaters. Family audiences of the movie's prime demographic haven't returned to theaters in full force, or maybe they just didn't want to see that gay kiss scene. I don't know. Uh, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Even so, those ticket sales are disappointing for a brand as recognizable as Pixar, the home of The Incredibles, Finding Nemo, and Up. It's particularly problematic given that Lightyear cost $200 million to produce and tens of millions more to market. Heading into the weekend, Disney was expected to generate at least $70 million, but the ambitions were thwarted by heightened competition from Universal's behemoth, Jurassic World, Dominion, and Paramount's high-flying Top Gun Maverick, as well as the little intrigue to watch a slightly esoteric origin story about Buzz Lightyear, one that had only a tenuous connection to the four films in the popular kid-friendly franchise. With its wobbly liftoff, Lightyear landed in second place, becoming one of the rare Pixar films to not take top spot at the domestic box office. Internationally, Lightyear earned $34.6 million from, 30, or from 43 markets, taking its global total to $85.6 million. The movie was banned in smaller foreign markets, including Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, because it depicts a same-sex kiss. I wish it was banned here. Notably, Lightyear is the first Pixar movie to play on the big screen in more than two years since Onward in March 2020. During the pandemic, three of the animation studio's titles, Soul, Luca, and Turning Red, skipped theaters to land directly on Disney+, leaving some box office analysts to question if consumers have been trained to watch Pixar movies at home. Other industry experts question if Disney is relying too heavily on brand recognition and not enough on execution. It's not that people disliked the movie, which landed on A-, cinema score, and 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, but Disney certainly hoped that more ticket buyers would feel compelled to see Lightyear in theaters over the weekend. Believe me, I would have loved to see this movie. I mean, Toy Story was a part of my childhood growing up, so it really pained me to see the headlines that they were going to force a gay kiss into the movie. Based on that, 
I and many of peop many people I've spoken with refuse to go see the movie, and I'm sure all of our audience would agree. Even with a colossal 60% decline, Jurassic World Dominion managed to capture the box office crown again in a surprise upset. Universal's prehistoric sequel generated $58.6 million from 4,697 cinemas in its second weekend on release, bringing its domestic total to $259 million. In third place, Top Gun Maverick keeps flying high with a mammoth $44 million from just over 4,000 venues in North America, marking a scant 15% drop from last weekend. You know what those two shows have in common, the last two I just mentioned? They just tried to entertain the audience, not educate or force satanic themes upon us. Hey, speaking of education, let's take a short break and talk about Classical Conversations. Classical Conversations supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families. We prov they provide a classical, Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries. And they train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit their website at classicalconversations.com. Again, that's classicalconversations.com and protect your kids from Marxist education. Now, let's end today's news brief with a stroll down on this day in history. Anything directed by the great John Williams is just amazing. On June 20th, 1975, Jaws, a film directed by Steven Spielberg that made countless viewers afraid to go into the water, still for me sometimes, opened in theaters. The story of a great white shark that terrorizes a New England resort town became an instant blockbuster and the highest grossing film in movie history until it was bested by a little film in 1977 called Star Wars. Jaws was nominated for an Academy Award in the Best Picture category and took home three Oscars for Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Sound. The film, a breakthrough for director Spielberg, then 27 years old, spawned several sequels. The film starred Roy... Schreider as Principal Police Chief, Martin Brody, Richard Dreyfus as a marine biologist named Matt Hooper, and Robert Shaw as a grizzled fisherman called Quint. It was set in the fictional beach town called Amity and based on a best-selling novel released in 1973 by Peter Benchley. Subsequent water-themed Benchley bestsellers also made it to the big screen, including The Deep, 1977. With a budget of $12 million, Jaws was produced by a team of Richard Zanuck and David Brown, whose later credentials include things like The Verdict, 1982, Cocoon, 1985, and Driving Miss Daisy, 1989. Filming, which took place on Martha's Vineyard, by the way, in Massachusetts, was plagued by delays and technical difficulties, including malfunctioning mechanical sharks. Jaws put now-famed director Steven Spielberg on the Hollywood map. Spielberg, largely self-taught in filmmaking, made his major feature-length directorial debut with The Sugarland Express in 1974. The film was critically well-received, but a box office flop. Following the success of Jaws, Spielberg went on to become one of the most influential, iconic directors in the filming world. With such epics as Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1977, Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81, 
the E.T., the Extraterrestrial, 1982, Jurassic Park, 1993, Schindler's List, 1993, and Saving Private Ryan, 1998. E.T., Jaws, and Jurassic Park rank amongst the highest grossing movies of all time. This has been your CrossPolitik Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that share button. Or become a club member, as we're starting to put out, put out content only available to club members. Also, check out our Fight, Laugh, Feast magazine at flfnetwork.com slash membership. And as always, if you want to talk corporate partnerships, let's talk. Email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless.